This is Hunting Land, the podcast for landowners and land hunters, with how-tos for habitat management and land investment. If you own, manage, or dream of owning land, this is the podcast for you. I'm Clint Flowers, and I'm here with Jobaya, and today we're going to attempt to answer the big question, what is land worth? Well, Clint, what's it worth? What's hunting land worth in Alabama? Well, it's real easy, Joe. At least that's what I hear from people. You just hop on the internet, look around within 30 minutes. You've learned everything there is to learn. Right. It's broken down county by county. I mean, hunting land, land is worth X amount per acre in Dallas County, Alabama, right? Yeah. I wish it worked like that. Tell me your high low this year. What's what's your low end and your high end on uh, price per acre of land that you've sold? Across the board, the lowest was just under 900 an acre and the highest was 8,000 an acre. Okay. Well, that pretty much sums it up. All right. That's it for this week. Uh, hope you guys have enjoyed the show. <laughs> no, uh, no, this week we're going we're gonna to talk about what really goes into value in land and, and the different components that create that value. Clint, how many times do you get asked during the year, how much is my land worth? How much is land per acre in X County? Uh, how much is land per acre in Alabama? How many times do you think you hear that in a given week? Probably at least 20. And there's a few weeks. This probably climbs up to 40. Everybody wants to put these blanket values across all these markets and all these different land types. And it's hard to explain sometimes that that's just not how you do it. You mean all land in Alabama isn't worth the same amount per acre? Yeah, despite what the internet says, uh, <laughs> it does not work that way. Well, today we're going to talk about that a little bit and how we arrive at a value. And it really starts with a, with a land appraisal to figure out what your land's worth. So today on the show, we got Dale Williamson. Dale is the vice president, branch manager of the Selma office for Alabama Ag Credit. And Dale, before we get into land appraisals, tell me a little bit about the interest rates right now. What's uh, what's going on uh, in the world of land lending uh, with regards to interest rates? Interest rates have typically been trending up here, you know, the past two years since our last presidential election. Uh, We've seen a little flat spot here lately in the past three or four months. Rates are still pretty attractive, you know, in the grand scheme of things. It's still a good time to get out and make some uh, investments in land and timber properties across the state. We've got interest rate products there all the way from a 30-day variable rate up till 20 and 30-year fixed rate. So there's plenty of options out there, different ways to set you up in a product that's going to work for uh, anybody's exact situation. Well, I think anytime you guys uh, make a loan on a piece of land, you got to have an appraisal, right? Absolutely. So let, let's talk a little bit about that. What are the different approaches when it, when it comes to appraising vacant land or timberland or you know, recreational properties, these types of land, what are the different approaches that are taken to do that? Sure. So our appraisal staff, uh, we've got full-time appraisers employed by Alabama Ag Credit, six of them on staff at all times. And they'll typically go out and look at the property there. And most of our appraisals are done off the sales comparison approach. So in in that sense, they are looking for like-kind properties, um, same type uses of those properties um, and what they've sold for typically in the past 24 months. So we try to group up um, sales typically within the same county, um, but definitely the same type of property, whether it be a recreational track or timber production track, row crop track, pasture land track. Uh, the key to it is finding good sales for any appraisal and uh, finding like kind properties. When it comes to hunting land, which is a big component of land value that we see, you know, w- what's considered in that? I mean, is it is it all about location when it comes to the value that that may add or or maybe, you know, take away from? 
Sure, yeah. So location is probably going to be one of the key factors in there for your recreational type properties. We've got different regions throughout the state. Uh, and some are a lot highly more, co- or more, let's say more coveted by the recreational and hunter um, than others. So location would probably be your, your prime component um, in those, but also to consider um, any water features, ponds, streams, rivers, creeks, you know, all that kind of stuff. And of course, your timber component, you know, your hardwoods, pine trees, you know, any of that type of stuff, long facilities on the property as well as cabins and structures. Um, but location will definitely be, be the key when with doing with anything with real estate, location, location, location. So if we think of this like a puzzle, it's the biggest piece is going to be, the, you know, start with the location and then the auxiliary smaller pieces are where the, the rest of the value comes in on top of that. Absolutely, Clint. Yeah, so all our appraisal staff will then go, they'll comprise all those different components of that sp- specific track or piece of property and use all those different pieces to pull it all back together to come with that final appraised value. All right, so we're talking a lot of different factors go into each property. Uh, let's, let's just talk about vacant land for a minute and how, how vacant land is, is appraised. And when I say vacant, I mean there's no structures no structures on that property. Unimproved. Uh, it's, it's just raw land. What happens when you're talking about vacant land and how it's appraised? How do you come to a value when a property, l- let me just give you a specific example. I was on a 40 acre track the other day and it was uh, pasture, but it was, in a, it was in an area that uh, it would probably be worth more as row crop and it could be converted into row crop. It could also be converted into timberland. When you've got a piece that's being used for one purpose, but it has other purposes, when an appraisal comes back, it, are those factored in that, it, hey, it could be converted into this and that would make it worth more um, as far as maybe with land rents, that type of thing? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, the question, absolutely. So the appraisers uh, typically want to drill down and, and, and reach our, um, what we'd call the highest and best use of the property. And <clears throat> that may be, you know, ask what the property is being used for today or kind of in your example, um, it could be a different use that could be converted to, whether it be converted to a timber track or row crop track, which would typically have a little higher value. So they'd want to, they would, you know, try to determine the highest and best use and then then determine any cost associated with taking that property, say from a pasture track and turn it into a pine plantation, you know, such as your planting costs, spraying, that type of thing. So they always want to look for that highest and best use of that piece of property to see the full potential um, that that property could obtain. Makes sense. So on a track like that, that that's fenced, Dale, how do you value a fence like on a hay field versus a pasture? Is there a running rate for that these days? Sure. So there's a couple of different ways to get to that number. Um, the appraisers would, would typically, they, ideally, they'd like to use a sales comparison approach on that where we had a very similar track, you know, similar properties that sold that were fenced and then similar properties that sold that were, you know, hayfield or unfenced. And then look at the look at the difference in those two numbers to, you know, we kind of get a, a track record there and say, hey, these type properties that are being sold as fenced or selling for $100 more acre, you know, the open land or open hayfields be selling for they sell for a hundred dollars less per acre. Ideally, that's the way we'd want to come about it. Um, depending on your sales, um, which sometimes can be few and far between in these rural areas, uh, they may have to tackle it more of an improvement type base. On um, you know, far as you know, what would it cost you or a cost basis? Let's say um, to go out there and and run a, a net wire fence around you know two miles around a hayfield. You know, so they would come back and 
and establish a value based on kind of the current contractor's rate on net wire fence or bob wire fence. You know, net wire is probably two dollars, two fifty a foot, something like that. Right now, bob wire is probably closer to a dollar and a quarter a foot. So there's a couple of different ways we can kind of try to tackle that issue, and that's typically how we'd want to handle those. But if I'm understanding you correctly, what you're saying is that basically it's going to be the re- the replacement value is what's going to lend its appraised value. That's exactly right. Now, once we start adding a structure, whether it's a barn or a house or whatever it might be, well, let's I'll go back to a real world example. I'm on this tract and it's got a it's got a home on it. It's got some barns on it. It's fenced. It's in pasture. When you switch over to looking at that house or looking at that structure, are you going to be looking at the price per square foot like you would in a residential area, uh, and then being comparing that to say other homes of that size in that rural area? Or are you going to be looking at it again from the, what would it cost you to build that house right now? Right. So in our, our appraisers typically do both in their appraisals. They'll fall back on, you know, sales comparison approach there to say, hey, houses of this similar size and this similar area are selling at X dollars per square foot. Um, but we also will do a cost approach in there as well to say, if you went to go build this house brand new today, it would cost you this much money to build it. And then we'd put a useful life on that improvement. You know, hey, this barn will be there for 30 years and then depreciate off of that. So trying to come back to a real world value of where what that barn or structure would be worth today as it sits and how much economic life it'd have left to it. And, and they'll also account for any um, deferred maintenance on any of the type structures in there as well. You know, if the, if the barn or house or whatever, you know, needs a roof or has two years left on the roof or um, you know, any of those type components of it. So they'll break it down to the individual components as tight as we can get to try to get a, a true value on there. That's typically the way we try to handle most of those. It gets back to what you were saying, Clint, about it being that kind of pieces of a puzzle that you want to put together. One of, one of those pieces, we last week on the show, we talked with uh, Norman Latona at Southeastern Pond Management. We were, we were talking about how to stock a pond. You know, water, you mentioned water, and that could be another big, big piece of that puzzle. Do you see that having water on a, pro- on a property, no matter the type, but does that raise the value of the land around it? Or is it just the value of, of that water itself? So if we go in and we put in a pond, the surface acres of the lake, right? Is it going going to raise the value of that, that acre lake that it's on, or will it actually help improve the value of the, the surrounding property? Yeah, typically on what we're seeing out there, it would improve improve that whole tract that we're looking at. You know, um, in our experience, buyers, um, that's one of their, their key features are on their punch list, let's say, water features, whether it be lakes or streams. So um, those properties appear to be more desirable when we look at the sales. Um, so it would bring the value of that entire track up typically. And speaking of sales on, on the comparable side, I think it's important to point out that there's a difference between area sales and comparable sales, especially in our business in these rural areas, because you get a track across the street may have just sold, but it may be a completely different piece of property than what you have in terms of stocking, current use. You know, you think about a timber track across the street and you've got a farm track or an agricultural property. They're not comparables. They're just in the same area. Or if you've got an area that's unzoned and you've got, you know, modular homes over here and across the street or within half a mile, you've got a custom home. Those aren't comps. They're, they're area sales. And there's a, a difference. And it's always important for these appraisers to, to see that. I understand what you're saying, Clint. It's like uh, getting back to that property I was, was just on. It's a 40-acre track with pasture and a house and a barn and 
in a in a, a farm pond and all that. And in that entire county, there is not a comparable sale uh, in the last 24 months of a property that has all those features. There's 40 acre tracks that are timberland. There's houses of that size. There's tracks that have timber in a in a pond, but there's nothing really like that. So Dale, when you see something like that where there are no comparables, say in that, even within that county, do you stretch your geographic area or do you just have to put it together? You know, where you're saying, okay, well, houses are worth this, pastures worth that, ponds are worth this. And so we we come up with a value based off of that. So we'll actually do both, you know, depending on what other sales we can get. Um, If the counties are comparable, you know, we, we may have you know, another sale that's right across the county line, it's only you know, physically 10 miles away or, or a short distance, you know, so we can pull those sales. We don't necessarily limit ourselves down to a certain radius around the property or a certain county. Uh, we just want to find something comparable. You know, um, a recreational guy may want to track in Wilcox County the same as he does in Dallas County, you know, so we can kind of work with those sales together um, in the event that we can't pull any sales or there aren't any sales available like that in the area. Uh, the only other way to come back at it is, uh, is just what you described is we would try to establish a value for each individual piece. So we try to find comparable sales where the house added a certain value and we'd come up with that number of pieces together. Then also look at comparable sales as far as the water features or barns or fencing. And uh, we'd have to pull all that data back together. Uh, and piecemeal it back together to get the true value um, of what that property would sell for today. So it, it can become a complicated process on the appraisal side, but we also always want to put as much into it as we can to get a true, true number. Well, it's important that a landowner understands how this works because if they're going and looking at their neighbor and they say, well, my neighbor sold his property for $2,000 an acre. So that's, I expect to get around that. They could be leaving a lot of money on the table thinking that that's what it's worth just because that's what a, their neighbor sold for when their property could be unique and completely different. Yeah, absolutely. There's just so many factors that go into that, you know, and uh, that, that's why I just think it's important to get you a certified appraisal out, appraiser out there on the property to see exactly what you have. Because just like Clint was saying earlier, just because these two tracks are sitting next to each other, their core components could be completely different. And you can see a wide range in value in the two. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to be continuing to talk about what really goes into value in land and the different components that create that value. Hey guys, we get a lot of landowners that want to know, how much is my land really worth? We've recorded a video series to explain exactly how we determine that. Just head over to landhunting.com slash go to get the series. I'm confident it will help you achieve your land goals. And we're back. Today, we are talking with Dale Williamson. Dale is the vice president, branch manager of the Selma office for Alabama Ag Credit. Let's talk a little bit about timber properties and how they appraise. We In a previous show we did with uh, Clint, I believe it was with John Ross Havard, we talked about, uh, you know, the kind of the three rules of land investing and and we talked about timber land with John Ross. And one of the big things that we talked about was the proximity of your timberland to a sawmill. And when it comes to appraising land, if you've got, where are hardwood prices right now? And where where are pine prices right now, Dale? Yeah, so we're seeing, a, from our guys out in the field right now, we're seeing a push on the hardwood, pulpwood side. Um, hardwood prices are pretty high at this point in time, um, mainly caused uh, due to the rain. So if you've got a, a dry track right now that you can get on, um, you could definitely get some decent money for the hardwood, pulpwood. I think pine um, has seen just maybe a small uptick on the pulpwood, but it's still relatively low compared to where it's been, say, over the past decade or so. 
So when you see when you see say hardwood prices going up, or you, you know what doesn't really matter, but if you see these timber values going up, but a property might have good timber on it, but it may be a, a long way away from a mill. Does that affect how that property appraises because it's it's worth less really to the landowner because it's it's going to have to be hauled farther? That's right. That's exactly right. That that all get factored in there into the appraisal. Um, th- those factors will typically fall out when we look at the comparable sales on those as well. Um, but the appraisers will factor that in there. Um, just because at, at the end of the day, the landowners can get will net out less money the further they are from the mill. They'll have lower bids on their timber when it comes time to sell it. So um, that is something to consider exactly how far you are from that mill. And then uh, another important factor there would be the nature of the track. If it's a track that can be logged in uh, in wet conditions, um, that'd be a much more desirable track than something that would have to be logged in, say, June or July when prices are typically um, at their lowest. It's like river bottom hardwood. Hardwood's through the roof right now, like you said, but it's got, if you're down in a floodplain, it's super dirt growing like crazy, but you've got a logging window of maybe 90 days a year. Some years it's zero days a year, like this one. But talk about hauling and, and, you know, logging access brings up another point that I guess get questioned about all the time. And, you know, deeded access versus undeeded access, you know, good physical access versus good legal access. How does that play into value for you guys, Dale? Sure. Yeah. So, and we're seeing this become more and more of an issue, you know, as tracks get chopped up smaller and smaller and land changes hands over and over. Um, we just have a lot more landowners out there today. You used to have a, a lot fewer landowners, let's say a hundred years ago with a lot larger tracks. So through that whole process, you know, sometimes easements were not conveyed um, as kind of maybe people thought they were. So um, having a deeded access can be a huge boost to a track. You know, that's something we recommend to every landowner if, if feasible to obtain that deeded access. So we encourage all of our, our borrowers to, to obtain deeded access and try to get that squared away on the front end because it's, it's an issue that won't go away. And, you know, if, if that line winds up in court one day, those can be very costly. So it's best to get that nailed down on the front end and um, it can have a tremendous value on the appraisal. I mean, it could swing your appraisal several hundred dollars per acre. But if you've got a track that say has good physical access and it's used by multiple landowners, so it's difficult to, I guess, try an illegal procession, but it's also unlikely to ever really have a problem. You guys can finance undeeded tracks on a track by site by site basis, can't you? We can. We can. So yeah, everyone was in, uh, you know, looked at individually on, on a track by track basis. But yeah, in, in that situation, uh, that, that would seem to be something we could work with, you know, and, and you have a lot of You'll, in these rural areas, you'll run into a lot of um, old county roads that were dedicated back to the landowners years ago. So it's, now it's uh, not a county road anymore, not maintained by the county, but it's common use by several landowners. So we can run into a lot of different situations there, um, and each one of them is treated individually, but uh, we can help landowners work through that and get that done for them. Clint, you've talked a lot, and we've all talked a lot, about the importance of soil. When it comes to growing trees, growing crops, uh, growing deer, doesn't matter. Soil soil is a very important component of this. Dale, does a soil type and, and does a soil test come into an appraisal at all? So are you, or it, when, when appraisal is done, say, on a piece of timberland, are you guys looking at something like site index to determine if it's say it say it's raw land, just clear cut land, or it's pasture, and he's thinking about putting it into timber, how does soil play into it? Yeah, so all that all that would definitely play into it. You know, I'm um, just like we we're talking about in our first example. 
Um, you have that 40 acre track that's a pasture track now that the landowner may want to convert to a timber track. You know, um, with, with the wrong soil type, that may not be possible. You may not be able to grow anything more than a cedar tree, you know, which would have pretty low timber value, if any. Um, so site index is definitely a major component in the soil type because that just lends more p- potential uses for that property and um, more potential income sources um, if the landowner did want to convert something like that. Or if it's in, in timber currently, you know, a higher site indexes would produce faster growing trees and, you know, more tonnage per acre typically. So if I'm a guy and I'm thinking about selling my land, I don't have to get an appraisal, right? I mean, I, I, there's there's no rule, hard and fast rule that says I have to get an appraisal. But uh, if, if someone's going to use financing, they, of course, are going to need to get an appraisal are going to be going to have to do that for a landowner for someone who's thinking about selling if they get an appraisal on their property will that appraisal be able to be used in a, in a transaction or, or are you going to have to have one ordered through the bank that's doing the finance yeah so typically those just on face value those would you'd have to have a new appraisal order for the financing side um now in some instances you could have that particular appraiser go back and then redirect or or put a cover letter on that appraiser, uh, appraisal you know, to, for it to be to the financing institution at that point in time. But typically in our area, um, you know, working with good real estate agents, they're typically the driver on that, and they help uh, the sellers kind of establish that asking price and and let them know of kind of the comps. And um, usually they're the most knowledgeable route to go to, to get your property listed and set up without having to go through that expense of, of paying for an appraisal that may not be any good to anybody if, if you turn around and sell it, you know, Typically, the buyer could not use that appraisal for their financing needs without doing some additional steps in there. Well, Dale, you brought it up. So so I'll continue on that thread is we literally do that every day where we are, you know, trying to, we are helping landowner establish what a property is worth. And it's not always uh, less than what they think. I mean, Clint, you you made a guy a lot of money last year because he had he had his property way undervalued, right? Yeah, this was, this was only 120 acres. Um which I know is not a small acres, but when you think about how much he was undervalued, it, it's shocking. It, um, I go to visit the track with him, looking around, and it's all this high-grade, natural, beautiful, tall, clean timber, and he's asking kind of the average or wants the average per acre price. Well, he's got an unaveraged track. And I said, well, do you have you know current timber crews on? He said, well, no. And I said, well, look, my opinion, you've got a lot more timber here than you think you do. And it's way too diverse for me to even attempt to put a value on it. So we brought our forester in, had him cruise it, and ultimately made him $150,000 more than he would have taken that day for it. That's the problem with that question of how much is land worth per acre is that it's an average. If you get that number from someone, it's an average. And tracks are so different. It's like what you're saying. That guy's land, it may have had, if people are saying, oh, well, land in, you know, Dallas County is worth $2,000 $2,000 an acre. Well, that piece of property may have had $2,000 an acre of timber just sitting on it. And, and he was giving away the dirt if he would have sold it without your help. So if, he, if he'd have sold it that day, the person that bought it would have had a negative basis in the timber. Well, explain that a minute. I, I mean, I know what that means, but explain what you mean by negative basis. So it, in the sense of, let's say um, the track was worth 4000 an acre and he sold it for three. And we ended up getting about 3600 an acre for this track. If he just sold it for 3000 an acre, the person buying it would have had negative $1,000 per acre in the land. 
they were buying it for less than what it's worth. I mean, it, it, they would have had a, they would have stole it from him basically yeah. if, if he hadn't worked with you. And I imagine y'all, y'all see a little bit of that, that too, Dale. I, I'm sure y'all see some deals come across the table where uh, properties are undervalued. Yeah, we do. I mean, <clears throat> it, that's a lot of times in transactions where there's no realtors involved, um, you know, sellers don't know what to ask for their property, do not know what it's worth. And, um, and they will have them, have the tracks undervalued so you don't they're few and far between but uh you know when you see them you can recognize them so that's one of the key components um of picking out a good a good realtor to help you list your property that one of the advantages that we see from our side just to help facilitate the deal and get you get you the money that the property's worth well dale Man, we appreciate your help today and uh, trying to figure out how much land is worth in Alabama. I'm, I'm thoroughly confused now. I feel like I, I, I'm, I'm worse off than when I started. I, <laughs> it's clear as mud, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So uh, if, if folks do want to find out what their land's worth, get a better idea of what values are in, in their area uh, and what some comparable sales are and that type of thing, uh, and they want to reach out to you at or, or anybody at Alabama Ag Credit, how, how can they reach out to you? So um, the website's alabamaagcredit.com, and we've got um, eight offices that cover the southern two-thirds of Alabama. Um, all the phone numbers are there listed on on the website, uh, along with everyone's email address, all the lenders. And, um, man, we'd be happy to help people find appraisers in their areas, uh, find realtors in their area that can help them out. Um, you know, anything to do with land transactions, we're here to help folks and uh, kind of Everybody pointing in the right direction. Adele, you guys do more than just the conventional land loans, don't you? I mean, like if somebody wants to buy, you know, small track and build that beautiful country home that they've always dreamed of, you can handle that too, can't you? And absolutely, we can help. So we've got a couple of programs in line with that. So we've got a, a rural home program, um, which will cover any primary residence outside the city limits. Um, and those are not limited to acreage uh, requirements. So your typical banks, a lot of times, will not finance anything over a house and 10 acres with us we can work with you on that you know we can finance your house and 100 acres with it or more um, so that's no issue there we also have a rural home site program uh, which that would just be vacant land a smaller track um, potentially that you want to build on in the future that does not currently have a rural home on it uh, so we have a program for that and then we also offer um, construction loans for primary residences too so uh, we can help you buy the land help you build the house and uh we don't sell those loans off as most mortgage companies do. So they'll stay in-house with us on food life alone. Um, you'll always deal with your local lenders, and um, we can help you on all those type products as well. That reminds me of one other thing. Tell What is that patronage rate program I keep hearing about with you guys? Yeah, so that's one of the really unique features of Alabama Ag Credit. So we're part of the National Farm Credit System. Um, and the key to the whole system is that we're a co-op. So all the borrowers are member owners of the co-op. There's no outside shareholders. or um, So we turn around and pay back our dividends and uh, our profit each year to our customers. Um, and that percentage is set by the board of directors each year in December based on the profits for that, for that year. Um, for example, uh, for 2018, we'll pay back a 95 basis uh, point dividend. So that's 0.95%. Uh, if your loan was at 5% and we paid you back 0.95, uh, that would effectively lower your interest rate to 4.05%. Uh, that's a cash check we send back to the borrowers. Uh, so for every million dollars worth of money owed, we'd be mailing back uh, $9,500. Uh, it's kind of rare that a bank hands you money back these days, but that's what we hang our hat on, um, the true co-op principles and um, efficiency in banking. So the cheaper we can keep keep your cost of funds and keep your 
expenses down, well, that's what we're here to do. Well, Clint, when it comes to land, hunting land, whatever kind of land it is, talk a little bit here about underpriced tracks. And you see that from time to time. You know, folks are leaving money on the table. When it comes to getting a land appraisal, though, what about overpriced tracks? What's the harm in listing something for more than what it's worth? Well, we get a lot of sellers who want to try that. And from a marketing standpoint, you know, the biggest bang for your buck tends to be within that first 60 to 90 days or so when it first hits the market and really the internet. A few things can happen. A, you can get a stigma on it for being overpriced. So even if you change the price later, it's hard to get the public to come back to look at your listing again for the first time to even realize that the price has changed because these days everybody shops for things the way they do on Amazon or Walmart's websites where they just want to list and be able to filter it how they want. So if they've already attached that stigma to your property, they're just not going to open it again. So we struggle to get those people to come back. Now we've got ways to do it, but it, but you know, if we'd have just priced it right in the beginning, we'd have had a lot more buyers on the ground quickly. It have sold faster and time value of money. You'd have netted more money off that property, just pricing it accurately. And some of these tracks, you put too much cushion on, they'll sit on the market for years. You know, so it's important to come in and, and really understand what your components of value are, break them apart, bring them back together for that total. And I always tell people to, you know, price aggressively and negotiate less rather than put a big cushion on it and hope somebody's going to come in and start taking shots at it because real buyers, the real qualified, respectable buyers aren't going to do that. They're just going to move on to the next one. All right. Well, we've covered some ground on land appraisal. So I got to know, Clint, what's land worth in Alabama per acre? Well, what I learned today is it depends. I think that's the, uh, that's the moral of the story is it depends. And uh, you need to talk to some professionals like the folks over at Alabama Ag Credit. If you'd like our, our opinion on what your land is worth, just go over to landhunting.com and subscribe there. We've got a video series that shows you how we break down the different value components of land and, and show you some, some specific examples on how we've saved some folks money and how some folks have, uh, uh, would have left money on the table. So that's going to do it for this week, folks. As always, thanks for listening. Subscribe, rate, review, wherever you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate it. We appreciate the, uh, appreciate the comments. So uh, we'll see you next week. Well, that's going to wrap it up this week. Guys, we want to hear from you. If you've got any questions about the show or want us to email it to you each week, just send us an email at pros at landhunting.com. That's pros at landhunting, no G, dot com.